Hey, this is Pastor A.J. Swanson from Hicksville Cornerstone Church in Hicksville, Ohio. The following is our summer 2022 sermon series called One Another, in which we look at the one another passages and concepts within the Bible with the hope that we will see discipleship relationships take place within our church in the years to come. Join us on our journey of life with one another. You can find out more information about Hicksville Cornerstone Church at hixcc.org. That's hixcc.org. Enjoy this Sunday sermon. Morning. If you're joining us today, our last sermon was on what is discipleship. We've been going through a series on one anothering throughout the whole summer. If you've missed it or you want to kind of catch up with us, we're on all the podcast platforms, so jump in with us. You can catch it if you missed it. Um, But this is our last week on formal discipleship, this one anothering series. I'm so excited to get back into the book of Matthew as we continue our series on the kingdom of heaven next week. Um, And we're going to talk about some of the big pictures of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of heaven next week. But last week we covered the what of discipleship. And today we're gonna cover the why and the how to kind of fill in all the gaps. But we start our sermon today in the very messy room of a kindergartner. Maybe many of you have had a similar experience in the midst of your life, maybe as the child or maybe as the adult. Maybe you've been sitting around a dining room table, and your young daughter looks at you and says, Dad, can I have a friend over to play? Which is a good question. We should, you know, promote, you know, some sort of socialization of our children, right? And so you ask the very good question as a father, well, darling, has... Have you cleaned your room? Is your room clean? And she answers yes, not because it is, but because she indeed wants her friend over to play. So you being the good parent walk into her room after dinner. Let me rephrase this. You walk into the war zone in which she sleeps on a regular basis and your worst fear is laid before you as a dad. There are Legos everywhere that you're too scared to step into the room and she has set up all her dolls which you didn't realize how many she had all her stuffed animals and all her tea sets to where it looks like she has opened a small bistro in town and indeed ladies and gentlemen it is doing very very well so you look at your daughter and you say it's very hard to have a friend over if they have nowhere to sit So we would like you to clean your room, or I will report you to the Better Business Bureau. (laughs) This is disgusting. She looks up with you with those sweet eyes. And you know the question that's coming, parents. And she asks, why? (laughs) It's a good question. It's a good question, isn't it? The call to engage in activity, any activity, including discipleship, requires a why if we are to truly set our hearts upon it. 
We desire to know the why, whether you're a five-year-old who wants your friend over to play, whether you're a teenager who they've given you homework and you don't quite understand what the point is to this assignment, whether you're a factory worker where the manager is asking you to sweep the floor yet again, even though you know third ship's going to make it dirty all over, whether you're a retiree who's filling out another form from the federal government that you don't know where it's actually going to end up. We all desire to know the whys behind any activity. And if you're a millennial or an iGen, you're actually um, convinced you deserve the answer to it as well. So naturally, we have to ask the question, why discipleship? Pastor AJ, why are you harping on this for months? And you're probably going to harp on it later on too. Why is the focus so much on discipleship. I'm going to give you the easy answer before we dive into the big one, and that is this. There is a great need for it. There's a great need for it. Our text today is going to be in Colossians 1. If you want to cheat there in your Bible so you can follow along, there's a lot to mine within this passage in particular, but there's a couple things I want you to notice as we dive in. The first thing I want you to notice is the authority of Christ. If you were following along with last week's passage as we dived into the Great Commission, we saw the exact same theme. theme. Christ is on the throne. So don't miss that here. It's a theme that it takes place throughout the whole Bible. So we need to be reminded of that. The second thing that I want you to notice is the stress on the kingdom of God. We're not going to get too deep into that today because that's next week's sermon as we dive into what is the kingdom of heaven, what is the kingdom of God as we restart Matthew. The third thing that happens within this verse that I want you to see is the great transfer that takes place. When we come to saving faith in Jesus, when we are born again, not only are our hearts made new, but our citizenship is transferred. We now represent a new country, a greater king than the one that we've had before. Look for these things as we explore the text this morning and begin to see why. Discipleship is important, and the need for it is so great. Please stand for the reading of the Word of God. We'll start at verse 13, Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and him in all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The grass withers 
and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord this morning. Father God, without your presence here, my words are nothing more than a loud gong, so I ask that you would soften hearts. I ask that you would even soften my own, that you would speak through the message this morning and that you would work mightily in the hearts of the congregation and myself as we consider the text, as we consider the challenge, as we consider the why to discipleship. In your son's name I pray, amen. So let's talk about the first thing that needs to be said because it's the main point of the opening verse and that is the great transfer that takes place. This is the heart, at the heart of the gospel message. There are two kingdoms in the world. If you look at the front of your bulletin, we've put together this image that hopefully will help you have an idea. For those of you that think in picture or are artists, maybe this will help you kind of think through it as we move forward. But there are two kingdoms in the world. Scripture's clear about this. This is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus. And again, if you look at the bulletin, you'll see an image. Hopefully it doesn't need to be improved upon, but I say that knowing that full well in the future there might be other stuff that's on it. Um, but hopefully this helps. One is darker than the other, and one is filled with life. And the gospel tells us that you and I were born into darkness. Romans 5.12 spells this out. Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We were all born in darkness because of Adam. Think about it. Adam was in the kingdom of light. That's why he could walk with God in the garden. He walked with the Lord. He had peace with God. He had right relationship with God. And then Adam and Eve listened to a liar, a serpent with a really bad idea, and death was introduced. The kingdom of darkness was born, and because of it, all men are born into a sinful world. All mankind sins, and because of sin, we experience suffering, and we wage war against ourselves and others and God. When Adam fell in the garden, four relationships were drastically altered. We need to be aware of these as we look at the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and this helps us with next week's sermon as well. But let me break down for you the four relationships that were torn asunder in the garden. The first, and I think most clear, is our relationship between God and us. That changed. We could no longer walk with God in the garden. We were cast out. The second is our relationship with others. To me, because I've lived it so many times, that moment after the apple is, well, not the apple, the fruit is eaten, and immediately Adam and Eve start blaming each other, right? It's the first marital strife that takes place within scripture. Relationships are broken. Then our relationship also with ourselves, that has been laid bare, we'll see that more. And lastly, our relationship with creation has changed. Recall from Genesis, working in the fields now became a burden. Nature fights back against image bearers all the time. See the pictures from Pakistan that we saw this morning. Our relationships with others are constantly strained. And it's not just the relationship with others of people that we don't like. They're strained with people that we should love. 
They're strained with our children. They're strained with our spouse. They're strained with our dear friends. Because there is brokenness in the world. Division, strife, plague, what should be easy and good relationships. And our relationship with ourselves is a big one in today's culture. Anxiety, depression, suicide are all on the rise and are fueled by the feeling and the self-talk that I am not who I am supposed to be. And in some basic understanding, they're very right. However, their answer is very wrong. You see, none of us are. And then last, of course, is the relationship between God and us. Sin is separated for us from a holy God. We can no longer have communion. We can no longer have fellowship. And here's the beauty of the transfer. Here's the beauty of it. When we have a right relationship with God, when we are transferred from the kingdom of light, I mean from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the other three relationships can begin to fall into place and function as they stood. Instead of being a distant star in the sky that is separated by the cosmos, now those relationships live and breathe in the kingdom of light and have the opportunity to flourish. Christian, you have been transferred from one kingdom to the other. And in the kingdom of light, peace, joy, and love, both with God, ourselves, others, and creation and culture, can now flourish. And we sit at the precipice of the dividing line. We're right there. If, in, if you haven't noticed, my guess is you have, is if, if you've come to Christ, there is still a lot of junk that we must walk through. Life is suddenly not easy street. Sin is still present. And this is because while your citizenship has been transferred and while you do indeed reap the benefits of your new uh, citizenship of heaven, we still live in the midst of the darkness. Like the tree in the picture at the front of your bulletin, um, we straddle the line between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We can experience great joy in the knowledge of God as we work, as we see him work in our lives and those around us. And as we drink deeply the water of the world, yet sin is still at our doorstep. We're still tempted. We still fall. We still struggle. And that is why we need discipleship. Because we're on the precipice of two kingdoms. You see, there is one main driver, and we're going to talk about this more next week, between both kingdoms. Both kingdoms have this, and, and they're opposed to one another. The main driver, the main conflict between both kingdoms lies in the realm of ideas. You see, the kingdom of darkness makes truth claims about our world. Just as the kingdom of light makes truth claims about our world. And unfortunately, many of us, having straddled both lines, cling to ideas that lead to actions that, have, that come from the kingdom of darkness. And many times, they cling to us. You see, there are many ideas that have great impact on our lives that are contrary to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. And we either willingly 
or ignorantly submit to them. Either willingly or ignorantly submit to them. It's like a frog stuck in a pond. He doesn't know how dirty he is because he's been in the pond his whole entire life. And it's the same way with us. Many of us, as we've moved and been transferred from the kingdom of the light to the kingdom of heaven, still have a lot of muck on us that we don't even know is there. You see, this is all, all people. I, as a pastor, even have ignorant, ignorant ideas that plague my life. Pastor Jack has some. We all have ideas that cast a shadow in the kingdom of light that we're supposed to live in. And we all believe false things about the four relationships that we've talked about. We all believe false things in regards to God. We all believe false things in regards to ourselves. We all believe false things in regards to others. And we all believe false things in regards to creation and culture. And we need one another to shine a light in those places in our lives that we're ignorant to how we're walking in darkness. We need one another to overcome these ideas. Why is this so important? Because as one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, says, ideas have consequences. Or to put it the biblical way, right? In biblical terms, ideas produce fruit. Ideas produce fruit. Here are some examples. If you believe the idea that your value as a human being is rooted in what you have accomplished, that's a kingdom of darkness idea, then when failure comes, when failure strikes, you have nothing to stand on in the midst of your value as a human being. Another concept from the domain of darkness. If you believe the darkness's idea that you must become your most authentic self, then you will become perpetually trapped on the hamster wheel of life and never find freedom where Christ offers that Christ offers you, which tells you to die to self. It's very different, right? Kingdom of darkness, find your authentic self. Kingdom of life. Die to self. If you believe evil's idea that sex is only for your pleasure, then the temple you were created to be will be desecrated by the choices that you make and you allow others to make on your body and not flourish as it was designed to do in the context that God has created, namely that of marriage. Ideas have consequences and ideas bear fruit. And God has given us one another. This is a gift. Look to your left. Look to your right. That's a gift. So that we can remind each other of the horizontal, the vertical relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, and we can encourage, edify, empower one another to gospel living in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. That's a gift. We talked about that as we talked about the Great Commission last week. We're not a passive faith. We go. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians when dealing with ideas, he says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Everyone. Look, Jesus ain't playing here. He dearly desires your heart. 
And when you submit to the rule of King Jesus, as we are transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, then we begin to look at the ideas and choices that we make in our lives, and we begin to shape them based on what the word of God tells us. Listen to these words. This is the first psalm. This is the opener of the songbook. Listen to the imagery that also exists at the front of your bulletin today, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, kingdom of darkness, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Only one of these kingdoms, ladies and gentlemen, on the front of your bulletin, are left standing. Only one side wins. And if you've read the book, you know what side that is and which one is coming. Christ rules now and forevermore in the already and not yet of his kingdom. We need discipleship. We need one another. Why? Why is that? So that you can experience the joy and peace that is offered to you in the kingdom of life and you can free others to that same joy. And so you can free others to that same joy. We are chain breakers. We are ambassadors. Dr. Luke puts it this way at the beginning of his gospel, Luke 1:79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's how we are to live. So that's the why. How on earth are we going to do this, Pastor? Look, this does look different in different church settings. Please know this. The, the how of what we do is going to look different depending if you're in sub-Saharan Africa, depending if you're in Asia, depending if you're in hiding in one of these countries that has an underground church. It looks different. So what is it going to look like to us? How do we disciple? In macro, this is how everyone disciples, okay? So this is the big ideas that guide how we are going to disciple, okay? Let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 16 again. It gives us hints. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So step one on micro, macro discipleship, we actually treat Jesus as king. Shocking. We actually treat Jesus as king. He's in charge. 
That means when we wrestle with something in the word of God, which is going to happen because we're straddling that line again, when we wrestle with something within the word of God that pricks us, that bothers us, that makes us question and doubt and struggle, we submit to the king and his word and not just what makes us comfortable in the moment. And God forbid, which happens all the time, we actually hold up the idea of darkness and call it light, which is prone to happen in a fallen world. Even Isaiah saw this in his day, Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Look, some of us will not let go of the things of this world even though we know they're not good for us. But we cling to them because we like how it makes us feel at the end of the day. It doesn't cause dissension or issues in our job and our friends groups. So it's just easier. We like that. We would rather follow a politician and treat him or her like a messiah instead of following the messiah and treat him as the king of our lives. You see, step one in macro is to actually treat Jesus as king. Step two, reconcile the world. Colossians 1, 17 through 20. And, it, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, what? All things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, again, we straddle two kingdoms, but one is vastly more powerful than the other. If it were nighttime in here, if it was dark outside and I turned off all the lights in this room, it would be very, very, very dark. But if I lit a small little candle, like a birthday candle, little bitty, which one wins? The candle wins every time. The darkness is no match to the light. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We are to bring reconciliation. We are to bring the light into those four areas that were broken at the fall. First, Christ offers us the hope of reconciliation with God. He offers that to a dying world, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Next, Christ offers a proper and beautiful view of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3 do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 
How many times throughout the course of the week do we view ourselves as a holy temple of God? But instead, we define ourselves by our failures, our sin, and the things that plague us, the darkness that is around us. We need to have a right view of self. Next, Christ offers a proper view of relationships. We've talked about this verse over and over again. It's in Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking about our relationship with one another. No longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, that's us, being joined together, that's us, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We grow more and more every day as we become more and more sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The temple grows. You grow. We grow in unity and love and service for one another. Amen. It's a beautiful thought. And then Christ offers a proper view of culture. One that is rooted in the kingdom of light and brings reconciliation to the world. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, those ideas that produce fruit, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This verse reminds us and has us consider how we would live in the spheres of influence where the Lord has put us. We don't just abandon culture and say, well, it's going to hell anyways. We engage with culture as a light shines in the darkness and we bring hope. So how are we going to disciple in micro? Our little church here in a corner of Ohio, Hicksville. How are we going to disciple, disciple in micro? Here are the finer points. Here's the game plan. Step one, we meet together. So far, not too hard, right? Okay. Pretty good right now. Step one, we meet together. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have to intentionally get together to hold fast, stir up, and encourage. The main vehicle the Lord has given us to do this is Sunday service. You're doing it right now. Your voice is lifted to encourage one another during worship. You're speaking before service, during service, and after service and fellowship to meet together to do that. You're in the midst of this verse right now living it out. But Christ draws us to one another, not just for one hour on a Sunday, but builds us up over the course of the days of our lives. So he's also called us to meet together intentionally outside this building to make much of the kingdom of God. 
We meet together. Step two, we open up his word. All, all relationships, all Christian relationships are built on the word of God. All Christian relationships are built on the word of God. Hear this from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, all scripture, that includes the genealogies and the numbers that we don't like in the Old Testament, all scripture, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In your picture that you see on the front, the word of God is the soil that we're rooted in. We're rooted to that. That's where we draw our strength and energy from as we transform the kingdoms of God and the kingdom of darkness around us, which means we must be in the word. We must be a people of the word. This verse also points out step three, and we're going to touch on it in a second. Step three, we are honest. We all like the part in 2 Timothy 3 where it talks about teaching and training, right? Most of us in our jobs have had to go. When you start, get a start a new job, right, you get those like teaching and training days that everyone loves to enjoy, sit in front of a television with poorly... It's just bad, right? Like we all worry about those days. However, training and teaching, we know at the end of the day, are good for us. The two parts of that verse that most of us don't like are the reproof and correction, right? I don't like that. I'll be trained all day. But the only time all four of those take place is if we begin to be honest. We got a lot of them in here. Every coach in here has had that player that no matter what you say to them or encourage, no matter what angle you take, they will not take correction. And by halfway through the season, you're pulling out your hair. You don't know what to do because not only does it affect them, but it literally is affecting the rest of the team. We've all had those players. Hopefully you've not been those players. Christians, if you walk in darkness, if you, sorry, if you want to walk in darkness, don't do those three things. Don't meet, don't open up the word of God, and don't be honest. And there are people that call themselves Christians all the time that do all those three things. They never meet with the other saints. They never open up the word of God. It gathers more dust than their television at home. And they surely aren't honest with one another. And then they wonder why their world goes to pot. But if we want to walk as Christ walked with his disciples, these are the three things we do in micro. Here's the scary part. The devil attacks all those three things. He attacks all those three things, but he never does it directly, right? You never get in your car on the way to church on the Sunday, and you got like a sign on your, you know, windshield that says, don't go to church, right? That's not how the devil operates. But he will give you every excuse in the book to not show up on a Sunday morning. Everyone. You know, you're really tired today. You should sleep in for your good. You know, they really aren't going to miss you at church on a Sunday morning. What do you add to church at the end of the day? Is it really anything? The devil is subtle. And he just speaks lies over and over again. 
It's never a frontal assault. I wish it would be a frontal assault, but it's never a frontal assault. It's always an excuse that is made. Same with don't open the word of God. What is the devil's opening salvo against humanity? Did God really say? And he's been preaching that same message since the beginning. And so many times when we get to a spot in scripture that we're not comfortable with, what does the devil immediately say to us? Did God really say that? Can we trust Paul? I don't know if that book should be in the Bible. He attacks it every which way. Good news, Christian. It's the most researched book in the history of mankind with more, old like more manuscripts than any other book by far. You can trust the word of God. You can trust the word of God. And then the devil will attack honesty all day. How does he do it? Gossip, slander, and broken promises are the main tool the devil uses to where we will no longer be honest with one another. But the way to overcome sin, the way we grow in the areas is we, that we're struggling, the way to transfer bad ideas to good ideas always begins with honesty every time. So if we know that the kingdom of darkness wages war against the kingdom of light, and we know that the kingdom of light is far superior to the darkness, then why are many of us not experiencing victory in the four major spheres of life? I would argue that it's because we lack a path to discipleship. We don't even know how to do it. So we got to make that, we got to clear that up for you as a church. We lack discipline in our own spiritual lives. And we are passive about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We treat it like the Great Suggestion. So how do we change that? How do we change that? Answer. Like a mustard seed. We change it like a mustard seed. Hear these words from Matthew 13 when he's describing the kingdom of heaven. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of, of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it grows, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You can see the tree, I mean, you can see the bird in the picture on the tree on the front of your bulletin. So what does that mean for us? How do we grow in discipleship? Slow and intentional. Slow and intentional. I know in America, those are like bad words. How do we change the culture at work? Slow and intentional. You're fired. It's not how it's going to go. But that's how it works in our lives. That's why when all of us look back at our teenage years, there are moments where we go, oh, gosh. I don't want to think about that anymore. That was a really poor decision. But we didn't get to where we are today in our maturity in like one giant leap. We grew up a little bit at a time. We more and more looked at the word of God, had it examine our hearts, and were changed by the word that promises that is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So it's slow and intentional as we grow. I've spoken with some of you about discipleship ministry these past few weeks, and a common idea, probably because I didn't explain it properly enough, 
is that we're going to fast track your spiritual life. Here's this red pill that you're going to take and you're going to become a super Christian. That is not how discipleship grows, okay? That would be awesome, I'm sure. Um, but I'm not, I haven't found that pill to spiritual growth yet. But the kingdom of God grows counter to the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is not a flash in the pan as every other bad idea has been over the course of 2,000 years. It's slow and steady growth. It's consistency. It's intentionality. It's one step at a time. As I said last week, our hope as church leaders is to move us towards being a disciple-making church. That won't be program-driven. It'll be driven by the people that make up this community. Jesus modeled this. He started slow. He started with 12 guys for three years and then sent them to have their own disciples that they hung out with, that sent others, that sent, you get the point. Now there's two billion people that profess Christ on the planet. That's awesome. That's good growth. The hope is, is that this year we have about 20 people that go through a discipleship program with the hope that we get to multiply that the following year and multiply that the following year. And you get the point. It grows intentionally and slow, deep and wide. These discipleship groups will help us actually one another in the years to come. Everything that we've talked about for the summer. As we get to know one another outside of Sunday, as we carry one another's burdens, as we spur on one another towards righteousness. So here are the micro details. These aren't in your bulletins because I just want you to hear them. It's, they're not game changing. They're actually quite simple. When will these discipleship groups meet? When the three and four people actually want to get together. That's the beauty. We can pivot. Some of you are on third shift. Some of you are on first shift. Some of you are retired. Some of you wish you were retired every day. I've been in many men's ministries over the course of my life. The last church I was at, we had 20 guys meet at 6 o'clock in the morning for barbecue tacos and to open up the Word of God. 20 guys, that's really impressive. 6 a.m., that's awesome. Barbecue, that's the best, right? That worked great for those 20 guys. We were missing over 60 guys from our church on a regular basis because the 6 a.m. just didn't fit with their schedules. So we have these groups with the hope that we can meet and fit into people's schedules to help them grow intentionally. Where will they meet? Second question. For those three, four people, wherever they're available to get together. For the stay-at-home mom, it might be while their kids play in the living room and they meet together for an hour to open up the Word and talk about Jesus. For many of you that are in the classroom, that are teachers, that are administrators, it might be looking at a classroom before or after school and just opening up the Word of God and seeing what it says to you, right? For others, it might be a late night on a back deck or at a restaurant that you all like. For others, it might be at the lake during fishing season and at a hut during hunting season. Some of you guys are all of a sudden really excited by this, right? I saw the joy there. For others of you, it'll be 6 a.m. at a barbecue spot. If you find that, please let me know. I'm very interested, okay? How long will they meet? It's kind of up to them again. We suggest twice a month for an hour. Again, this is mustard seed stuff, but it's intentional and slow. It's meeting, opening up the scripture and being honest with the purpose to treat Jesus 
as king and reconcile the world so that the kingdom of God would march forward. For those of you that are here today and are hearing my saying of the two kingdoms and have never given your life to King Jesus, have not accepted the free offer of forgiveness, have not had your citizenship transferred from one kingdom to the other. Today, I call you to repent of your sin and do just that. Jesus is on the throne now. Jesus is on the throne currently, and he's calling men and women to himself. Will you respond to the call? Will you become a disciple of Christ? Will you follow him? If you are interested in that, I plead that you would speak to me or Pastor Jack after service today. We'd love to tell you more about the good news of Jesus and this kingdom of light, which is talked about in Scripture. For it is, for by this light we see the world and we enjoy the creation and the relationship that is freely offered to us in Christ. Bow your heads with me.